Hello and welcome to The Crit. My name is Ollie Stratford. I'm one of your hosts. And my name is Christina Rapatsky. I'm the other host. How are you doing, Christina? I'm all right. It's the end of 2020. Thank God. <laughs> it's a year we're all glad to see the back of. It can it can do one. <laughs> so we met up virtually with our boss the other day. We had our annual performance review. <laughs> Uh, Johanna Argerman-Ross, who founded Desenio in 2011 and who works as a curator now at the Victorian Albert Museum in London. Yeah, we wanted to do a kind of rundown of um, personal stories we'd each picked out from the year that we thought were significant to design in 2020. I should say, these are not comprehensive by any means. And I think looking back, obviously the biggest stories of the year have been the pandemic itself and also the Black Lives Matter movement really permeated everything this year, and rightly so. We've tackled some of these issues surrounding the pandemic, surrounding the fight for racial equity in previous issues of Desenio. We did so in the lockdown paper and in Desenio 27. So we might direct our listeners to those two issues for an in-depth conversation about those topics. I think the other thing with both of those stories is that they remain very much live stories. So much will hinge upon what happens in 2021 in terms of the economic impact that results from the pandemic. And in terms of Black Lives Matter and racial equity, seeing if some of the attention that fell upon it this year will be matched with concrete action going forward and in the future. Uh, Obviously, we very much hope so. But let's press on. Christina, I think the first choice was yours. Yeah, I wanted to talk about video conferencing. Not an entirely new form of digital space, but one that's become really important in 2020. Do you guys want to hear some of the things that I have done on Zoom this year? No. No. This introduction won't work unless you want to hear about the things I've done on Zoom in 2020. Go on, man. Right. Okay. So uh, I've uh, recorded podcasts. I have uh, I have I have hosted and moderated uh, an event. Very nice. And I have uh, done my birthday celebrations with my family, which I also invited a goat to. Well, this has escalated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those initiatives that lots of farmers have been doing in 2020 where you can like book a session with an animal. So there's a farm in Lancashire that I booked oh. 10 minutes with a goat from. Did it make you feel special? It did. Yeah. Lisa the goat, she was great. What was her general vibe? Slightly frantic, very bleaty. <laughs> she wasn't on mute. That was the thing. It was quite intense. I found out that 10 minutes with a goat is enough minutes with a goat. Anyway, this was all to illustrate that a lot of things that were previously lived and done in in the physical world have now been mediated through our screens. And I've never invited a goat to my birthday party. Nor me. You've clearly done birthdays all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I am thinking it does sound much better actually. Yeah. Hook yeah. us up with Lisa. Yeah, we'll do. We'll I'll put a we'll put a link in the uh, show notes. And yeah, I think we should talk about this, the fact that all areas of life, pretty much, whether it's dating, work, leisure and entertainment, hanging out with goats, that is all happening virtually and often through the same uh, through the same interface as well. Zoom is one of those weird meteoric meteor is that the word meteoric yeah meteoric yeah meteoric rises of 2020 where uh, you know i don't know had any of you heard of zoom previously 
I certainly have. No, no. I think the only one I really knew and had used extensively before this is Skype. Yeah. And it's been sort of interesting to see how Skype just has not been part of the conversation. Yeah, I was looking into, because I was just interested in how Skype was completely eclipsed. It had been the go-to video conferencing tool for years and years. It was bought by Microsoft in 2011 and then kind of deteriorated from there. There was this thing that happened called the feature creep, which... What is the feature creep? He sounds horrible. Yeah, he's such such a creep. The feature creep is... uh, Is this what Microsoft introduced? They introduced a feature creep on uh, Skype where instead of focusing on doing video conferencing really well they started introducing all these like add-on features whether it was emojis which is like the skype emojis yeah or uh, other stuff that just complicated the interface and made it hard to use and counterintuitive oh so it's the creep as in the arrival of new features rather than a character called the feature creep like the paperclip who helps you send letters in microsoft Word. yes you are correct you yeah, you've understood you. you've understood the yeah the phenomenon <laughs> but what are the stats on zoom i mean how much has it grown this year hold on hold on hold on i have some uh... is that the rustle of uh, the lockdown paper by any chance it is. I'm just looking at Mimi Zeiger's essay on video conferencing. And she had a good stat here. From December 2019 to March 2020, Zoom's daily meeting participants increased from 10 to 200 million. I think they're now up to 300 million. But it's been one of those interesting stories where the growth is so quick, you start to see the holes in the product that have been left behind. So really early on, there was this criticism as to whether Zoom was actually secure. And there were all these discussions around Zoom bombing and who had access to the data. I think it's only at the very end of October that Zoom have finally introduced end-to-end encryption in calls. And that was a saga. People thought they had it early on. It turned out they didn't. Then their CEO said they definitely would not provide it to free users. Uh, I think they've rode back on that now. I think you can get end-to-end encryption for everyone. But it just shows like there's so much to consider around these kind of platforms which surge into everyone's lives and seem like, a cure-all of, oh, thank God for Zoom. Imagine what the pandemic would be like without Zoom. And then suddenly you see, wait, sorry, the, what's happening to my data? <laughs> wait, yeah. who could listen in on this call? But then it was so funny. The number of various different platforms have been invited to for this type of conferencing. I think I can count at least five that I had never heard of before. But also because it's always a kind of urgent invite, you need to sign up to speak to us now. Um, As in, there's no one putting pressure on me, but there's a meeting I need to join. And I all of a sudden realize that it's not on one of the platforms that I'm usually aware of. And all of a sudden I'm needing to litter my computer with yet another app uh, that I have absolutely no sense of what the privacy policy is. I just click accept because I need to get to the meeting quickly. That's frightening, you know, just to think uh, how much access we have been giving to some of our interactions without really even being aware of it at the time. Because even if none of these are new apps or platforms, they 
we rely on them in a new way, in a completely different way to what we did just nine months ago. It's such new technology. It will be interesting to see how it changes as it's given a bit more time to mature. Because already I think there are design choices which you maybe think about like, oh, that's that's kind of weird, but that's already become the standard. So for instance, the fact that the default is you see your own video. So throughout your discussion with someone else, you're constantly confronted by your own face. Now that's a really weird thing, which isn't in some ways an obvious choice, but all the platforms do it because I, I personally find it very confronting because you're simultaneously you spend an awful lot of the time talking to someone else, looking at your own face, thinking at the same time that, hello, sir. And also, God, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> and it's a perfect mix of like vanity and self-loathing that you, you're kind of confronted with on a daily basis. Having to look at your... <laughs> Next up to the bat was Johanna. Yeah, Johanna's really worried. She's uh, she's worried about single-use plastics making something of a comeback. And now on to the comeback of the year. An unfortunate comeback. It's uh, single-use plastics. Boo. Boo hiss. So I read a figure the other day. 102 million single-use face masks get discarded around the UK every week. Wow. Can they be recycled? No, but another figure in the same article was 18% of people, at least in this poll, think that they can be recycled. So a lot of them end up in recycling. You see, but they can't be recycled. You see them everywhere. Like if you yeah. go out walking around, they're just scattered all over the ground like autumn leaves. One of the other things which has been notable is people suddenly feeling terribly reassured by plastic packaging in supermarkets, for instance, and things like that. And the idea that you will have this fresh virgin material, which can then be discarded. And that is a good way to stay clean and safe during COVID. Um, I don't know whether that's actually backed up by anything. I think I've read that COVID-19 lasts for longer on plastic than it does on some other materials. And I'm not proposing that we wrap our, all our uh, groceries in copper or beautiful stainless steel. But, you know, paper, I think it lasts for longer on plastic than it does on paper, for instance. I think you're right. I mean, I, I read another interesting observation around this and as lockdown started earlier on in the year across the globe the global demand for petroleum really dropped significantly and as a result oil prices plummeted drastically and what's interesting with that is that making and manufacturing virgin plastics which is the type of plastic that most of us want to avoid because we should be focusing on recycling plastic and using recyclable plastic um, really became much less expensive to produce than recycled plastic and as a result of that the industry the petroleum industry pushed it as a material much more because obviously uh, as with all these things there's big business and big bucks behind many decisions that we see playing out in front of us in the world and this cost incentive meant that people went for plastic over paper for example because it's a cost incentive it's it was cheaper to make i think 
I think plastic has good lobbyists, right? So it's lobbied. So the Plastics Industry Association, which is the lobbying group in the US, their CEO came out and said single-use plastics have been the difference between life and death during the pandemic. And, you know, it has played a role, clearly. Like, it has helped in terms of PPE. But all of these things come at a cost, too. We know we need to be reducing these materials. We know that's a real issue. And in in solving one problem, we're making a rod for our back in others. And it is quite frightening. I think there's some staggering figures out there as to the amount that's going into production of new virgin plastics as as compared to recycling plastics. So it's, um, I mean, it's... (laughs) It's made a comeback, (laughs) whether it's a welcome comeback. Lastly, it fell to me and I picked global supply chains, a topic I find immensely boring, but which has been essential to life in 2020. Let's hope we did some justice to it. What really struck me with this year is that it's the first time that I can remember that I've been met with empty shop shelves in the supermarket. And it's a sort of frightening and slightly daunting experience. You can't find toilet paper or the pasta is run out or tin tomatoes rice or was another big tin one. tomatoes. It seems that we have really been, well, global supply chains have really been brought to the fore in terms of understanding how they work and how they affect us personally. Yeah, I think it was sort of brought screaming into light in a way. I remember quite early on in the pandemic when we were all working from home, I suddenly thought, God, I need a printer. And I don't know why I thought that. It's a moronic thing, like who prints anything anymore in a way. But I was so convinced I had to get one. And they were all sold out on Amazon. And that's a very weird experience being confronted with that on Amazon because for so many years, for decades, that platform and online shopping has almost been reducing these products to images and just everything is available all of the time, normally on a tremendous discount. And for it suddenly to not be available, it kind of shatters the illusion in a way where Amazon is built as this beautiful cornucopia. And there are other sites, you know, there's Alibaba, there's all of that. But you think, well, the profusion will never stop. I can get anything I need the next day. And for that, suddenly the realisation of, oh, no, there are supply chains, there are material flows, there are people involved in this. It's the illusion of consumer capitalism that was kind of disrupted. For many people, it would have been the first time that you, you're reminded of the finite nature of products and the materials to make them. And if not that then certainly the supply chains and logistic systems that bring those products to you. No, and the fact that you see them as frictionless, Mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden they're have a lot of friction. No, I think you're right. It's good. The internet definitely flattens. So there was that thing when suddenly you saw, I cannot get hold of this product I urgently need. And then to my, but are you on Prime? Uh, oh, good thought. Yes, I'll put I'm on Prime. And no, even if I'm on Amazon Prime, it's not possible to get hold Shock of and it. horror. And that was sort of shocking. <laughs> like, well, what the, what the hell is my $7.99 a month doing then? Or whatever it was. It was... It was a sort of reality check and suddenly grasping the supply chains. And I think it's going to be a reality check for companies moving forward who have experienced 
huge disruption this year. You would hope that something they take from that is to try and investigate their supply chains more to understand where friction could arise, where there might be shortages. Now, that would be good for them, I suppose, in terms of ensuring business can carry on as normal. But that could have other benefits as well. If you understand your supply chain better, there's much more potential to try and improve its environmental footprint. There's much more uh, potential to try to economise and just make things run more smoothly and more ethically. I'm sure a lot of companies won't do that. I think that's very utopian to hope that this could lead to something better. But maybe the potential is there. I think the example in the UK that was that was really became a matter of life and death and which hinged on global supply chains was uh, the PPE crisis earlier on in the pandemic where it suddenly became clear that well, we can't we can't have PPE why not because there's no one who can make it on a massive scale we import all of it from other parts of the world and so it has these huge repercussions and you saw lots of initiatives spring up in response to that there was the emergency designer network which began small scale production of PPE and then linked up with other makers, both big factories and individuals in their kitchens. No, I think legibility over these issues is so important for so many reasons. Not least, it, it's no surprise to anyone that we record this podcast in the UK. Um, and not to get all Brexity, but obviously that's going to bring challenges to do with import and export as well. Starting to think about where our goods come from, what steps are involved, is going to become very, very, very important for this country over the next few years. The rise of the local there in terms of um, manufacturing of PPE, but also distributed manufacture, you know, the way that 3D printing found um, quite big prominence um, um, back in April and March when a lot of the PPE equipment uh, was impossible to uh, get hold of. Um, it's very interesting because it's interesting to see how new technologies played out and played a very useful role during um, the early part of the pandemic that make us maybe consider them differently afterwards, but also make these things more familiar to a much broader population that maybe otherwise wouldn't consider them. Well, there we have it. Three stories from 2020 that have been important for understanding design in the year that was. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the last episode of 2020. We're very excited to be back in 2021 for more episodes of The Crit. In the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at The Crit Design and on Instagram at The Crit Podcast, or you can email us on The Crit at designiomagazine.com. We hope you have a lovely holiday, stay safe, and we'll see you in the new year. Oh.